Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lalo. So it's just the three of us today. We're going to be discussing a whole bunch of things that surround ebook pricing before we jump into questions that you guys have given us. So we'll talk about regular pricing, sales, novels, novellas, short stories, all of that stuff, box sets, everything. Let's see, before we dig into any of that, um, do you guys want to go ahead and give your updates, any news you have going on, anything, all that? Uh, sure. Uh, for me, in the short term, I'm recovering from a cold because it's my birthday and I get colds on my birthday. Um, I'm also recovering from a surprise party for my birthday, which was also the celebration of my 10th anniversary uh, of my book release. So that was fancy. Uh, thanks to Sean, Chrissy, Carrie, and everyone else who pulled it off and none of whom listened to the show. So that's just for all our listeners to know who did it. Um, I will also, because it's the 10th anniversary of my books, I'm going to be in a couple of days recording the anniversary Q and A. I have been collecting questions from my, my listeners and readers and whatnot, which, uh, and, and during my announcement, and if they're listening, they're not going to hear this before I do it because this is going to go up later. Uh, I will be floating the trial balloon for the 10th anniversary Kickstarter, which is going to I like the I've mentioned it plenty of times on the show, but the idea would be to fund a special edition of the Book of Deacon trilogy that will be in hardcover for the first time. And depending on how well the Kickstarter goes is what I'll add to it. Like it might just be in hardcover or maybe it'll be hardcover with uh, illustrations or hardcover with illuminated uh, initial letters and stuff like that. We'll see how far it goes. So yeah, that'll be part of the announcement and I'll see how much interest there is and if they have any other ideas of like rewards they want. But uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of, that's my news right now. All right. I feel like all of us now need to do a Kickstarter now that we had Lauren on and everybody got excited about trying stuff. So my news is, uh, I guess I'll talk about, it. I've been dealing with this malware stuff on my author website for quite a while. Uh, you know, I started doing all the things you would expect. I changed the passwords for the WordPress login and, you know, control panel and all that and went in and deleted files. And I had somebody that knows more than I do go in and make sure they deleted everything. And, um, the problem is, and I, it sucks because fans have been reporting this is that they'll like surf in from Google and then maybe like one in 10 or something redirects to some malware site. So that is not cool. That's not professional as an author. Um, but it has continued and it's, you know, it seems like it's getting worse rather than better. So now I have installed WordFence, which I paid $99 for the honor of the premium version, which is a security for WordPress blogs and enabled two-factor authentication, which basically means now I'm going to have to use my phone to also log into my password. Although there is an option to whitelist like my own IP address. So I will do that. <laughs> Um, we'll see how much of a pain it is, but apparently that should really make it a lot more secure. I, I put in another, uh, Sukurai or something like that, another app that, um, that you see like logins and is like admin was logging in from, I don't know, Bangladesh or something. And I'm like, well, that wasn't me. So I blocked that IP. It's really been actually a frustrating couple of days as I've gotten in the weeds with this stuff. And I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, that this new stuff will keep it completely secure. And I don't know why this particular site has been targeted for all this stuff. It's actually my first time that's ever happened to that degree. You know, I've, I've probably had like 40, 50 websites since, I don't know, 1999. And I, this one's been around though for 10 years now. And maybe that's why it's been more of a target. But have you, have you guys ever had to deal with any of that stuff? 
I had a lot of fun with GoDaddy every now and then. I mean, but they haven't been as mean to me as Bluehost has been to you. They're very they're they're willing to sell me a few things here and there, but <laughs> well, Bluehost has just been unhelpful. Uh, you know, they're not mean, but I am kind of thinking maybe I'll look for a new host in the future. I have not had that degree of like, I have not had a malware problem, but I briefly hosted a, a, a wiki for like my book series and I let fans update it. And pretty soon it was just entirely about Cialis and redirecting to Russian websites. So <laughs> I took that down. But yeah, that, that, that was my experience with, with poor website choices. All right. Well, and I, I should say too, I've had passwords on there, like the automatic generated ones from WordPress that you could never possibly remember. So I'm like, I don't know how these guys are getting in there. I can barely get in there. I have to have it somewhere else where I can copy and paste it in. Or um, I think at one point I had LastPass until I lost the password for that. <laughs> so that's how website security goes in my life. And hopefully you guys will not have to deal with it. I, I think part of it is just kind of after 10 years and maybe being a site that gets a pretty good amount of traffic, but at the same time, not being as secure as like real professional <laughs> sites by actual web people, you know, maybe you get to be more of a target, but, um, Andrea, do you have any more exciting news that you would like to share? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely exciting news, right? Um, no, I finished, uh, Twilight Rogue, uh, the third book in my series, sent it off to my editor. And then after I sent it to my editor, I decided I was going to change the ending completely. <laughs> so I ended up getting it uploaded like three hours before the deadline, which that's the closest I've ever gotten to missing a pre-order deadline in my entire existence. And I did not like that. It did not make me comfortable. Um, but the ending, I just, I needed to add a whole new scene and it just I couldn't figure out the rest of the series without adding that to the end of that book. So anyway, so I've started outlining Raven Huntress, which is the fourth book in my Midnight Chronicles, and I'm going to start dictating that tomorrow. Um, and then on a, in personal updates, because I've had a couple of people message me to ask um, my baby, we got him tested for allergies and he had like 33 out of the most common and um, his top five. It was just so depressing. It was like corn and animal dander and wheat and milk. And I can't remember what the other one was vitamin C, I think. And just I'm like, you poor kid, you're like allergic to everything um, anyway. So that's, I mean, I think that's it from us on updates, unless either of you decided there's something else pressing. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and start talking about, um, uh, pricing and, uh, and just give basically our general thoughts on it. Um, my comments there are, don't be afraid basically to experiment and then watch what others are doing well and not just doing, but doing well in your genre. So check out, uh, rankings, things like that. And if they're not selling and they've only got like five reviews, pretty much don't pay attention to how much they're price, what they're pricing their books at. Um, listen to the people who've been doing it for a little while and are doing well. Um, and remember nothing is permanent. So if you make a bad choice, there's absolutely nothing that says you can't change anything or fix it. You can't obviously go back in the past, but you can make changes moving forward. And as indie authors, we can make changes really quickly. Like we can make changes within a couple of hours of making a bad pricing, um, choice. And then also on the flip side, so you can change things, fix it. You can also, I mean, things in the market also change. So it's not just you changing your books, but authors, I mean, things don't change very quickly when it comes to pricing strategies, but they do change. And so, uh, one thing that I do regularly uh, about once a year, I'll check to see how other authors in my genres are selling their books. And I don't, put a whole lot of stock into it, but I do like if all of a sudden everybody starts pricing their books at two ninety nine or six ninety nine or you know eleven hundred ninety nine or something, then maybe, you know, I would consider changing my prices. But yeah. 
Yeah, as for me, uh, my general opinion is and has always been that as an indie, you have a lot of a lot more flexibility with book prices. Uh, it's one of the biggest strengths of being an indie is you have a tremendous amount of wiggle room with how you price your book and and as Andrea said, how quickly you can change your price. So it gives you a nimbleness in terms of of uh, promotion and such that that traditional doesn't have. So even if there weren't any other benefits of being an indie, just being able to fiddle with your price is a huge benefit that we have. So I really think that price is an important part of being a self-publisher. And uh, also, like when I talk about price too, I didn't put this in my notes, but it's worth mentioning. There's at least three different types of pricing that you should have in mind because there's just the standard price that you have in most stores. But you can also do separate international pricing on a lot of stuff and, and you can mess with that. And also library pricing, which is obviously in traditional has been in the news a lot lately because traditional is really starting to gouge libraries. And that's going to create an opening for people who don't gouge libraries. So pricing is an, a tremendous weapon for indies. Yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about like short story pricing, what we do for novels, box sets, you know, sales, loss leaders and things like that. But um, before we jump into that, and that's a good point, Joe, on library stuff, because I didn't actually think to add that to the notes anywhere. But they usually recommend, like the Kobo folks have recommended you go like three times above your regular ebook price for pricing for the library, because they're going to buy it once and check it out, whatever, infinity times, <laughs> possibly. Um, so, but even if you do that, like on a $4.99 book, you go like $14.99 or $10.99, whatever you want, it's still a good deal because the publishers are usually saying like, hey, you're going to have to pay 50 or 100 bucks or something for the right to uh, loan this ebook to your patrons. Um, but before we jump into the, the smaller stuff, I just wanted to say my thing here is whatever you do for pricing, uh, you don't have to do what we say. You don't have to do what anybody else says. And don't let other people like bully you into pricing a certain way. Uh, if you spend any time out there on forums and author groups, it seems like every month someone comes along and talks about how indies are devaluing their books by selling them so inexpensively. And we should all agree to price higher together. Uh, that stuff never works. Pricing <laughs> never works in any industry. But um, you know, you should experiment and see what's best for you and decide what's important to you. Is it important to you that your book look like a tra traditionally published book and be priced you know, $6.99, $7.99, um, because that's just what's, what you want. Or is it more important? And this is my, what my thing is. All I really care about is the total revenue that I make from that book. And so you always have to figure out with pricing, you can price higher, but inevitably you're going to sell lower, fewer copies. So it's kind of nice to try to find that sweet spot. Maybe it's $3.99 or $4.99 where you can still sell a lot of copies but you're not deterring people, but you're not just pricing so cheaply that you're only making like the 35% royalty. Uh, and we'll talk about some instances where maybe you do want to do 99 cents or you may want to consider it or even perma-free for a book one. But um, just don't let people bully you. Whatever you decide is best is best. And try not to get hung up on like, I spent a year writing this book. The value of this book is at least $6.99. <laughs> you know? The value of anything is what people will pay for it. And, and that's just how it is in running a business. And like I said, if you sell 2 million copies at 99 cents, who cares how many hours you spent writing it? You know, you just put like however much money that is in the bank. Who's got the calculator? Not <laughs> me. Six, 666, <laughs> hundred thousand, something like that. Um, but go ahead, Andrea, and we'll jump into the question or not the questions, but discussion points, I guess. Yeah. So our next um, next topic thing that we wanted to discuss about pricing was basically 
what we follow as a general rule. So when it comes to pricing short stories, novellas, novels, and extra long novels, which I don't have any extra long novels. <laughs> so that's going to be more Joe and Lindsay. Uh, well, my longest book is like 90,000, but I don't consider that extra long. Um, but for me, I keep things simple. Um, my novels are usually priced at $3.99 or $4.99. Um, right now they're all at $4.99, I believe. And I'll keep them there for a few months just to see how things go. They've been there since October. Um, my novellas, I usually price at $2.99 and short stories at 99 cents. Um, I don't usually sell my short stories though. I use them as download bonuses or I put them in my reader magnet box set. And um, I also like pricing the first in the series at free or at 99 cents. I think we'll be talking uh, more about that later. But um, what about you, Joe? Um, sort of a similar uh, uh, pricing strategy. I, I also usually don't sell novellas or shorts. I think I have two or three official novellas. And uh, for a while, one of them was at $2.99. But now I think I sell all of the novellas at 99 cents. The short stories, I also, I think I have three short stories for sale. And they might also be 99 cents right now because I didn't go through the like, work of making them perma-free. But in general, short stories, I don't sell at all. And novellas are 99 cents. My usual pricing structure for my novels is $4.99. If it's a particularly short novel, I'll do $2.99. But that's like when it's barely edging out 50,000 words, which for me is particularly short. Most of my novels are in the 100,000 word uh, territory. Uh, if it's a particularly long one, I have two novels that are over 200,000 words. I have given them an extra dollar, uh, but I haven't really found that that extra dollar made me feel any better. So they usually find their way back down to just the standard novel pricing. So $4.99 is almost as a blanket uh, when I am priced in general on my stuff. I also have a novel over 200,000 words that is a dollar more than my <laughs> typical novel thing. That's the thing. You can't really, you know, without readers balking, <laughs> you know, charge so much more, even though the novel is twice as much, twice as long. So that is a unfortunate reality. So you may want to think about if you are writing something that long, can this become a trilogy or a two-parter? I have another one that would have been like 230,000 and I divided into part one and part two. And so that actually worked quite well. And nobody complained other than the fact that there was a cliffhanger between part one and part two. Um, but for my pricing thing, and I should say, you know, Andrea mentioned looking at what others are doing in your genre, you know, you don't have to do what they're doing, but it can be helpful just to kind of see like what in the top 100, if you're hoping to get to the top 100 in your category, you know, well, what's the most common price point. And, um, so in addition to looking at that, you might want to consider just having a logical way of doing it with your own stable of, of books. You know, maybe it's short stories at 99 cents, novellas at 2.99, novels at 3.99 or 4.99, extra long epic <laughs> novels at $5.99. You know, and of course you can go higher than that if you want. I've certainly seen people uh, say they sell short stories at $2.99 and they stand by that and they get sales. So it's not that that's not possible. It's just what you feel comfortable with as a publisher. And um, I think too, worth considering is how frequently you publish. If you are printing out a book a month and asking $9.99 for them, that's over $100 a year from anybody that follows you know, you, all your stuff. That's one of the reasons I you know, usually don't go above $4.99 because uh, I do have people that buy everything I put out. And I don't want to be like, you know, asking a huge ask. Because I think that for most people are somewhat price sensitive and are going to be picking and choosing if it becomes an issue like that. If it's like, wow, I'm spending more than $100 a year on this author. Um, 
I usually, I used to do more short stories and I'd sell them for 99 cents. I found that because even if you sell hundreds at 99 cents, it's sort of, eh, you know, as far as what you're going to make, I find it more valuable now to just use them as bonus material, free things I can entice people onto my newsletter with, or just extra things on my website. Uh, I don't do many novellas either, but two ninety nine. I usually want to be pretty close to like forty thousand words before I charge two ninety nine. Um, that's just my feeling. I, at thirty, I'd be maybe. Um, but again, I often use novellas just as the. Um, I either don't write them anymore, or I use them as a newsletter enticement to get people to sign up. And it's not that there's not any value in stories of that length, but as I've gotten um, more efficient and faster as a writer, I find out I can just write a, a full novel kind of, it doesn't take me much longer than a novella and I can charge more for a novel. And always, always, even if the novella was like in the series <laughs> that's very popular, I would find that you'd lose people. You know, if it's like 5.5, somehow I ended up with that with novellas at that between book five and six and two different series, you just don't get as many people or I didn't get as many people picking that up. And part of that is probably because Amazon still doesn't allow you to put that into the series and be on the series page. If it's like a 5.5 at one point, there was some talk that they might start doing that. Um, But I I feel like they took that away. (laughs) Like they offered, you could put zero in there and now you can't. So uh, for full length novels, I tend to do, I did a lot of $3.99 for stuff under 80,000 words for a while. Um, when I started my Patreon and I had a $5, $5 tier and they get all the eBooks, all the novels, I decided, well, I don't want to charge them more <clears throat> than the book is going to be for sale on Amazon and the other store. So I've kind of just defaulted to $4.99 now unless it's quite a short novel. Um, you know, like 60,000 words, I, I would lower the price and probably give it to the Patreon people for free. And um, that is just sort of, you know, how I feel my internal logic on this matter. I like to, because I think that's where you're going to lose people. Like I never had anybody complain when I went from 399 to 499 as the kind of the average. But I think if you have stuff all over the board, you know, and it's not a book one and clearly meant to entice people in the series, then you might get a little people complaining because I actually have had that happen on accident in the UK where like just because of price or the exchange rates changed, it ended up like I, cause I accepted Amazon's, you know, suggestion and then I round to 99 or 49 and the reader said, Hey, the rest of the series was like at 399 UK. And this one is at 449 UK, you know, what's going on. I'm like, Oh, sorry. I'll just make a match the other ones. I hadn't realized I did that. So people notice. (laughs) So, uh, Think about that if you're thinking of like staggering, stair-stepping up and getting the series more expensive as it goes on, unless the books are significantly longer. Uh, it's something to think about. And one thing that um, we do need to note here is that we do write mainly sci-fi fantasy, the three of us. Um, I'd like to pull on, I've got an author friend who makes quite a decent chunk of money on selling romance novellas at two ninety nine, And that's all she does. And there's a whole lot of authors that do that, like Western romance, you know, um, they do two ninety nine quite regularly, regularly on twenty to thirty thousand word novellas, and so I mean, I would say fantasy fantasy readers and sci fi readers expect longer, and they expect it to be a certain price. They're not as forgiving, I would say, as romance author uh, readers are. I don't know. Um, okay, so for books you put into Kindle Unlimited, does it change anything for you for pricing, Joe? Why don't you go ahead on that one? Sure, um, I've. I only have three books currently in Kindle Unlimited. I have had four in my lifetime, five, I guess, if you count the one that was on Kindle Worlds. 
so I don't have a lot of experience with, with experimenting with prices in that. Technically, uh, my KU stuff is priced higher than normal because the KU stuff is all pretty close to, to my low end on, on novels, but they're priced the same as a regular full-length novel. Uh, which might have been the case if it was wide anyway, but it's fair to say that I would have been, I, I didn't care as much about, about tweaking that price because they were in KU. Um, they haven't done that well, but that's more likely a result of a bad targeting and, and a weak launch than what their pricing is. So that's what I've got to add for KU. Yeah. Um, I don't really price differently in Kindle Unlimited. It's too much to keep up with basically trying to remember which price goes where. Uh, and when I move from Kindle Unlimited to wide, I don't want to have to think, you know, I just, if I just make my prices be the same across the board, it helps me keep up with everything. Yeah. So I just generally follow the same pricing strategy, regardless of where the book is being sold. Um, what about you, Lindsay? So I don't change it most of the time, there's an exception I'll get to in a second. Um, but I've definitely noticed that, and I should say, I'm someone that's always planning to go wide at some point. I'm not a never permanently camped in KU. I, I launch new series into it and eventually I take them wide. So I kind of want everybody to get the same experience, same price. Um, if anything, I'm going to make a discount when I take it wide because people had to wait so long for it. But I've noticed with other people who, um, are in KU and a little more dedicated to it, or just want to experiment, you know, that they can get away with higher priced books and still sell really well as indie authors. And I, I feel that's because people will like look at, oh, this one's $6.99 or $7.99, but I have a KU subscription, so it's free to me. And not only that, but I'm really getting my money's worth with my KU subscription because I don't have to pay that $7. So it may actually, a higher price book may actually look more attractive to a borrower. Um, and then because over, because right now as we're recording this in, uh, end of January 2020, a borrow still counts as a sale as far as, uh, figuring out sales rankings on Amazon and, you know, whether you're going to be in those top 100 charts for your category. So if more of your, in, or more of your, you're getting more borrows and sales, it doesn't necessarily matter as far as, um, being in the rankings. Although we should remind you, and we talked about this on a previous episode when we were covering, covering one of David Gogren's talks, he mentions that, uh, the popularity lists are, which power the recommendation algorithms, which will actually send out emails to KU subscribers are actually based completely on sales. So I think, you know, with rare exceptions, you'll actually find that keeping your prices a little lower, even if you're in KU, can result in more sales, which can help keep your rankings higher um, because you're getting free recommendations from Amazon because they're in the popularity list. Now, if you're not selling enough for any of this to matter, you know, you're down in the rankings, you're not in any lists, then you know, why not price higher? It's just something maybe to think about around a launch or something that that's why 99 cents can be really powerful with a launch because you're getting all the sales and you'll still get a lot of people borrowing and you might end up, you know, depending on the length of your book, you're probably making more on the read-throughs from those borrows. And the one time I make an exception with pricing being different in books in KU is the, the two box sets I've put together in the last year that are complete series, five books. If those were wide, if they were not in KU, I would never make that 99 cents. It wouldn't make any kind of sense. And you, you know, I, I think people who haven't 
don't pay attention to the income side or don't know the author's income side, see that and think it still doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, if you got over 2000 pages on a five book box set and it's 99 cents, so it's selling a lot. So it's getting recommended. So it's ranking high. And at the same time, half the people are borrowing it and reading through the, to the end. Uh, right now, that could be worth ten or more dollars if they read through. It. It's almost like if they read the indiv- it is like if they read the individual books in the series. So at this particular time, selling a complete trilogy or a five book box sets for ninety nine cents might make sense. And you have to, you know, you're still going to have to pay for advertising in almost every case these days. And um, you you can decide like, am I making enough from the KU page reads to cover what I'm paying for advertising on this 99 cent book. Uh, I found it to be, yes, uh, you know, at some point, uh, things do tend to drop off after a while, even if you did get up in the rankings and even if you are still paying for advertising. My first box set that I did this list with has been in KU now for two years between the original release and then this box set release. So I'm about to take that wide and I'm just going to put it up to 9.99 because I would even make it like 19.99 if I could get the 70% royalty on that. So that is my exception when I price differently for something that's in KU. Awesome. Um, okay. So do you, either of you do a different price for introductory books in a series? Uh, my three main series all have free series starters and I, for other pseudo series, again, I don't, I don't have, well, that's not true. I do have, uh, the, the urban fantasy KU series. Uh, I will often have the first book at like 99 cents for a while depends on how long it's been out um but i will in general either have a free or a or a reduced price on the first book in the series um yeah uh what joe said even readers uh who love your books can hesitate at starting a new series um the only caveat here is i don't discount a book below the launch price uh for at least six months if not a year and we'll talk about that again a little bit later go ahead Lindsay. Excuse me, I was drinking my wine. Usually it's, it's <laughs> lattes at the time we're recording our podcast, but dealing with website security issues has is, is made it that kind of day. <laughs> All right. So I will, I've probably the last four or five launches, I've done 99 cents for book one and then had kind of the rapid release model with books two and three coming closely after the launch of that one. So I've had the pre-order up for at least book two at the time the book one went out. And then book two will be like $4.99. And that's sort of my normal price, as I was saying. And so I find with 99 cents. And the reason is, you know, when David was talking about that, why that makes sense is because you want to also sell a lot of copies, not just get a lot of borrows and that that can help you kind of get things rolling and start getting extra visibility from the organic side. Uh, Advertising, as I said before, my favorite thing about advertising is if you can do enough of it that you're also getting organic visibility and you're not having to pay for every single purchase of each ebook that you get. And I find that with myself, uh, you know, because I'm not like I would have to do 99 cents. I've, uh, because I've experimented with like launching at 99 cents for the first two weeks and then going up to full price, 399 or 499. And I found, you know, I feel like some people can get away with that and still their book will continue to sell just as well and will become sticky on Amazon. I, you know, as I've talked about before, I don't seem to be quite (laughs) on target as far as uh, what the market wants. You know, am I getting all the right tropes? What's popular right now? I, I, it's not something I can really do very well as a writer. So I find that at 99 cents, I get more people that are willing to try it. Maybe it's not exactly what they were hoping for. It's not a whatever drag 
Megan Mage Academy that's killing it over there uh, in the rankings right now as I, uh, as I just took a peek in the Epic Fantasy. Um, so I feel that at 99 cents, you can get something that's a little less to market and possibly stick and be close enough to uh, kind of stay up there at the top for a while. Uh, and I'm always willing to experiment, you know, if, if the next series seems to be selling so well that I feel like it can raise the price on book one without losing a whole lot of rankings, I, I would. But I feel like a lot of people commit to doing that. And then you kind of inevitably see their sales rankings and how many units a day they're selling start to slip. And if you have other books in the series that you're hoping to get people into, you, it really makes sense to do a lower book one and get as many people as you can into your series. Um, you know, the more it's just kind of simple math. If you have 70% read through and the more people you can get that read book one that are, you know, obviously you don't want people that are not fans of the genre doing it, but uh, the more you're going to make as the series goes on. So, and I will do from a free book ones, usually on a complete series uh, that I no longer going to be putting time into uh, advertising as much that I'm not going to be doing new installments of necessarily uh, the book one free, you know, it's, it's, we'll talk about this actually, I think in one of the questions, but it's, it's not as effective as it used to be, but it's sort of a, there's no barrier for entry at that point. So people will try it. And I, I still find I get free downloads on those perma free book ones, even if it's been a year or more since I've advertised that series. So that's it for me on <laughs> book ones. Yeah, that's the same for me, actually. Like um, my perma frees still do decently. I mean, like, again, not outstandingly like they used to, but I do get downloads on them still, even when I'm not promoting them regularly. Um, let's see. Do you ever um, discount later books and series or just tinker with the first or the first installment of a box set? Go ahead, Joe. Uh, most of my tinkering is with book ones and box sets, but um, I have on the past, I think way early, I think early on I was able to get a book bub uh, featured thing on a book two, which was bizarre for me. Uh, so I obviously dropped for that one, but uh, with the, Book sixes that I'll be releasing this year. Uh, David Gogren, we're talking about him a lot this episode, recommends this full series discount structure where you sort of have a staircase pricing for your series for a limited time promo. So I'm probably going to give that a shot for one or more of my uh, of my major releases, uh, and we'll see how that goes. I, if it doesn't work, if it works out well on the first one, I'm going to try to, you know, double or nothing on the second one. If it doesn't work out well, I'll, I might get cold feet and, and go back to my standard thing of just messing with the first in the series. Yeah. Um, I very, 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 very rarely discount later books in my series. Um, I've never discounted most of them. Actually, I'll do the first book or, uh, the first box set in a six book series. Um, um, so that's what I generally do. I just, I just ignore the later. I don't ignore them, but I'm kind of trying to train readers to download at full price, especially later book in the series. And, um, I do discount my box sets, but I have more than one of those for almost all of my series. And so I'll do like a, a discount on books one through three, but not on books four through six. I sometimes have in the past, but it's usually been around the time of running a book bub. And it's been a long time since I've done that. But yeah, so the first three books in those series will get treated you know we'll get that discount treatment but not later and not individually i also usually just launch at full price with subsequent books in the series and don't do a lot of discounting i i have put stuff that's still in ku and that you know like when i knew i was gonna do this box set at 99 cents i was like well let's also do a kindle countdown deal on all five of these books and make them individually 99 cents you know to see before i do the box set to see if that can give me a boost and you know i think that 
discounting of mid books in the series can make sense, probably more so uh, in the KU situation, because even if they're all 99 cents, you're going to get people that are reading them. And, and as Joe and I have admitted, our books tend to go over 100,000 words. So in the current model, you know, a full page read, you know, it's at least two, three dollars uh, for that. Um, and I actually, with my last book, the sixth book in my Star Kingdom series, I decided to go ahead and launch, put the pre-order up at two ninety nine, kind of as a reward, a thank you for you know my dedicated readers that have been reading the series as the books are coming out, and knowing later on that I'll discount that box set that they paid full, you know they paid full price for one, two, and three. I was just like, well, let me just um, be cool and, and give them a deal. And at two ninety nine, of course, I was still getting the seventy percent royalty, so it, it's not as much money as at four ninety nine. But I, you know, I things are doing well. I, I felt like I could give up that extra income. And, and it occurred to me as I did it, because it was, you know, I'm not sure I got a whole lot more pre-orders overall than I had. I did, I did get some more than the previous book in the series. And it's hard to know if I just had more readers uh, coming in at that point. Um, but I think if you were going to try for a USA Today bestseller, if you're wide and you wanted to try to hit some lists, like if your series is selling well enough that you, you know, potentially you've got 8,000 people that are going to buy book six or whatever, you know, you could put that pre-order up for three, four months, however many, and do a discounted price from as from us typical, like if 499 is typical, you could do 299 on book six for the launch. And that I definitely saw more people rushed out and ordered it right away from like when the newsletter went out. Cause I told them it's going to be 499 after the launch. So you can get it pre-order for 299. So it, you know, in most cases, the only reason you're going to want to get all those extra pre-orders is if you are shooting for a list, possibly if you're wide on like Apple and some of the other stores, it may give you a little boost at launch too. If you have those in the bank, uh, as far as I know on Amazon. I've heard some people suggest pre-orders do now count a little bit towards ranking on the release day. I'm, I'm a little skeptical because I haven't seen that myself. And I usually have thousands of pre-orders, uh, low, low four figures, you know, not like 8,000, but 2,000, let's say after six weeks. And, um, I think the boost mostly comes from all the KU people borrowing it that day that it launches. But that's just my opinion. Other people disagree. And I haven't seen the science yet to uh, really back it up. Uh, but um, anyway, I'm rambling off on pre-order strategies. But that could be a time when it makes sense if you're going to shoot for something big or you just want to rejuvenate and try to get a big boost all at once is to have it lower price at the beginning. But typically, I find that your hardcore readers that are going to buy it right for release are the ones that are willing to pay full price. So you know, <laughs> thank you to them <laughs> and um, take the money and, and work on the next book. Take the money and run. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying all these things about pre-orders and I'm like, oh, I can comment. No, we're talking about pricing. I don't want to derail us too much. <laughs> but um, okay. So what are your pricing strategies for bundles or box sets? Uh, I've done this two different ways. Um, usually what I'll do is I'll take, I you know, bundle the first three books and uh, I'll knock a dollar off, like a dollar off the combined price. And again, we're talking about a series where the first book is free. So obviously, I'm not including any value for that first book. So I, it ends up on having a pretty darn cheap uh, box set. The other way that I've done it, and I tend to write like short ancillary stuff, originally as newsletter perks and now as Patreon giveaways within the series. I wouldn't knock the dollar off for the box set. The box set costs exactly the same as buying the individual books, but it contains 40 to 70,000 words of additional material that uh, isn't available in any convenient way besides being in the box set. So it has additional value that way. 
generally speaking, I prefer the slightly discounted and uh, no additional material because I have gotten a lot of people who tell me they would much prefer to buy that stuff separately, either as a uh, an anthology separate, just because so many people just like to have separate like covers in their in their uh, library for different things. But they've both worked pretty well. Uh, I, I prefer the 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 books with the discounted thing just for ease of use and uh, customer satisfaction than for value because all things being equal, they sell about the same. Yeah. And one thing that we need to comment on here is uh, a lot of the time, I mean, you don't absolutely to our listeners, not to Joe, Joe, you don't <laughs> to our listeners. You don't absolutely have to price your box sets at a discount to your eat to the individual books. The reason authors do is because we usually sell our books at like three ninety nine each. And then combining that together, that puts you over the nine ninety nine um, little price point that Amazon has decided is where they stop paying you as much for each book. Um, but that's an Amazon thing. That's not another retailer thing. And so one thing I've done is I have, I'll put together and, and this is not going to be new to most of our listeners, but I'll put together box sets that are specific to other retailers. And there'll be of books that, um, you know, aren't necessarily ever, haven't ever been in a box set before. Cause I know that there are box set re- uh, readers out there. And then I will make those only available on Amazon, non-Amazon retailers. And then I'll charge, um, more than I would on Amazon. So like 1599 or even 2299 for 10 novels, you know, so it's still a discount, but you don't have to price at a discount for a box set because it's not like you're expecting the readers of the individual books to download the box set as well. Um, I do like what Joe's doing. Uh, the you know the additional words. That's that's so much work though. <laughs> but, <laughs> it happens anyway. They fall out of me on the weekends. <laughs> Joe's like I I write and I'm like I just try to sleep when the kids are sleeping and, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I do price box sets at nine ninety nine across the board almost entirely. Um, I do have one box set that is currently perma free and I almost always have one box set that's perma free because right now it's my Kalenia Chronicles and that series doesn't sell as well as my other books. And so I might as well have it be perma free because you know, it gets people into the series and then I do make more money on it while it's perma free. But my other series where I have that first box be a perma free, I, uh, there's 10 books in the series. And so it's not, it's actually, it makes me more money. It's not like it's losing me any money. I also start out usually it ends up being around nine ninety nine for um a box set of like books one through three in a series that's gonna go longer. Um yeah, I did the five book box sets and the two short series where five was all that it was, because that would be kinda weird to do a trilogy and then a duology. <laughs> and I usually like uh, same as Joe, I'm not really I might discount it a dollar just to make it because I, I will get some people that um will buy the box set that you know, because I did a different blurb and a different cover, maybe it hit some people that didn't originally get grabbed by the book one. And I, I find I'm actually finding with I can make AMS ads work on a nine ninety nine box set. Like I earn enough from that that I come out ahead. I cannot sell. I can't get a lot of clicks because they see nine ninety nine, and it's going to be like a special reader that's going to consider buying it at nine ninety nine. But uh, that is sort of the one price point I've tried. You know, obviously with my ninety nine cent stuff, I'm losing money on uh, Amazon ads, um, but hoping losing money on one book. But you know they go on to read the next book, the next books in the series. Um, I, I will say that I, I don't mind discounting it a little bit because uh, I find that people, once they read three books in the series, they're 
pretty locked in. Whereas after book one, you know, the read through rate from one to two is not going to be as high as from like three to four. So I find that the read through from even when it's a discounted box set tends to be quite high. Uh, I've had a couple of series where book three also happened to be kind of a cliffhanger, <laughs> not a serious, you know, completely broken story. Like I always have a complete arc in the story. Usually always have. Um, but so I, like I found that, uh, like in my dragon blood series book one, I wrote, I've mentioned before that I didn't intend to make that a series. And so it was a complete standalone romance, fantasy romance. And then I was like, Oh, let's do more. But it didn't lead people into book two as neatly as, as something with a less complete story would have. So I found that with the, when I did one, two, three in a box set, um, book three happened to be kind of like the beginning of a new arc that went from three, four or five. So that actually worked a lot better to get people sucked into the series. And I feel that just in general, if they read three books, there's like less question mark, you know, they've bought three books. They're going to probably continue on. Whereas if they read one, they're like, well, I have to decide. Do I want, especially when you do 99 cents and jump to 499, that's a little bit of a, you know, possible friction point. They're like, well, you know, if they're really into it, they won't blink. They'll buy it. But if they're like, well, it was okay. You know, maybe, uh, anyway, rambly rambly that's why i like box sets uh and that's my pricing points and i will do 99 cents if i can get a book bub ad and that's generally about the only reason i would drop it to 99 cents um if it's an older series it's been out like four or five years i'm kind of like andrea i have one that's it's not really perma free but it's been free so long <laughs> i you know i usually have it free like for a long chunk because this is my dragon blood box set again that one seems to get a lot of downloads anyway uh when it's free so even outside of doing promos i and then i'll usually bump it up to like 4.99 or 5.99 uh and then hold it for three four months and apply for a book bub like if it's been a year and I've had pretty good luck getting them on those box sets. Whereas I'm not, I don't have a good track record anymore with BookBub on getting them in individual books. All right. The, I guess I rambled off topic and on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're going to um, discuss one more little bit about price and then we're going to go into listener questions. I think we'll start with just two or three listener questions, see how far that gets us and then take them one at a time. Uh, if that sounds good with the two of you. Um, but, and they both nodded. So <laughs> for those who are not watching, <laughs> okay. So for sales or discounts, at what point does it make sense to drop the price? Um, assuming you don't want to, you know, basically work readers who bought at full price. Uh, in my case, just because I tend to, I jump between series and therefore I've been sort of on an annual release cycle for my, uh, for my main series. I don't usually drop the price on a book until I have the next book out in the series. And that, next book usually comes the following year. So I feel like anyone who's interested in reading book four will have already purchased book four by the time book five comes out if it came out a year later. So then if I'm going to do a price drop of any kind, it'll happen then. But again, frequently, the only thing that gets any price drop at all is book one, which will then be, you know, two years, three years, four years old by the time the new books are coming out. So price drops come around the releases of new books and on one year intervals. Yeah, that's, um, well, that's pretty close to how I do things though. I don't jump between series, you know, so it, 
it may it basically comes out to the same answer um i usually wait at least six months but usually a year um i didn't do this previously but when i first started i found like so when i first started writing i found that readers would wait and to wait to download when the book was discounted and i actually as a reader um before i even started becoming an like seriously getting into indie author stuff i'd i was indie authoring but i hadn't really started seriously into it and i was had one of my favorite authors who switched to indie and she would discount her books without fail every couple of months and she had like 40 or 50 titles and so i actually read all of her books for either free or 99 cents and i was willing to pay full price but i was like why not she's offering them at discount so frequently and so i mean you don't want to punish readers who buy at full price and so if you release a full price stick it at full keep it at full price for a while until you know the majority of your current readers have downloaded and then consider dropping the price on it for a little while right I, a lot of these voracious readers are understandably price conscious because if you're reading a book a day and that's five dollars a piece uh you know that's gonna be tough and of course there's a reason why a lot of these folks do the kindle unlimited subscription or do a lot from the library um, even if you're making great money that you could possibly spend a small fortune on books if you're a fast reader and these people i find they are paying attention there are sites out there that monitor the prices of books and they just wait until there's a discount and go get it at the discounted price or if you've trained your readers to know like after six months you know even later books in the series will be discounted they they're probably going to start waiting and that can be tough if you are trying to get as many sales as you can at your launch of a new series you know the first couple of weeks uh, to hopefully boost uh, the organic visibility and maybe get sticky on amazon um you want to you want people to make those purchases and so i usually wait a year an exception is when i do these 99 cent book one launches you know i don't really feel that bad about discounting it to free because 99 cents is just a dollar so i usually maybe about book five in the series and if i'm doing rapid release that may only be three or four months later i, I might run a you know three days with my if it's in ku uh, kdp select uh, free run and try to get ads for anybody that I wasn't able to book with for the release. Like, Hey, this is 99 cents. That's why I like making the book one free to start with. If I was at two ninety nine, I'd be a little, mm, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to make that free this early. And I've, I've actually seen traditional publishing kind of flub this up with uh, some categories I watch and, you know, I have, chat buddies my beta readers are big readers and they will be like whoa i bought this at 9.99 in february now it's may and this book is getting a book bub and it's going to be 1.99 that's a really big price drop that that's going to make some people bitter and you would not believe how many people subscribe to book bub i mean you would because if you look at their stats there's probably like 2 million subscribers in your category so a lot of your readers probably subscribe to book bub so uh, you know and i think that the temptation if you launch at $2.99, $3.99, and it sinks pretty rapidly and you were hoping to stick and it didn't and you just watch it. I, I've seen a lot of authors then go, oh, shoot, I'm going to do a 99 cent sale and hope to you know, rev things up. I think that's also a recipe for irking readers. So again, I just if you think it's a possibility it's going to be 99 cents soon, I would just launch at that. And then the launch is the best time to get things rolling as far as having hopes of uh, getting up there higher in the rankings and getting more organic purchases. It's okay to launch low and then go high, but I would avoid going the other way. There's my final words on that. <laughs> no, it, it definitely makes sense. I mean, you don't... And, and the awesomeness about this is you can launch high 
Um, and then like a year low, a year later, you know, drop the price and you have a new promotion, op- new promotional opportunity. And then if you launch low and keep it up, um, keep it at that price for a couple of months and you have options to run more promotions again later without even worrying about dropping the price and worrying about ticking off readers and things like that. Okay. So let's go ahead and go on to questions. Um, our first one is from Patty Finn and let's see question for the three of you. If you could start all over again, what would you do differently? Ready, set, go, Joe. Okay. First, uh, I would, instead of alternating between my series, I would have done them, uh, contiguously or, or, you know, I would have finished an arc of one series before I started another one. Uh, In my earliest days, I had some of my best success very early on with what was a pseudo rapid release because I had accidentally written three books uh, instead of one because it was just one monster that I split. If I had continued that series right on its tail, uh, I would have had a much more successful first five years, that's for sure. And then I would have moved on to the next series and that would have been faster. I would have been able to do a much more rapid release and had much more uh, uh, continuity within my fan base. I also would have gotten a newsletter up a lot sooner and maintained it better. Uh, Again, I've mentioned it many times on the show, my first big hit uh, uh, promotional hit was from some website called Pixel Inc. that got me 25,000 downloads on my free book. And I didn't have a link to a newsletter in the back because I, it was so early on in my career and I just didn't do the research. So I would have, that's a big mistake uh, that I wouldn't have made. I would probably streamline my writing process a little bit better to get my books out more quickly. I'm better now, but early on I was, I was a, a, a pantser. And the reason the books ran so long was because I didn't really plan effectively. So if I had done that, I would have more books out and probably looking at the way things are now, I probably would have taken a KU wide strategy where you launch to KU and go wide eventually. I think that I don't know that I'm going to be doing that with the, the series have already started the way they started. I wouldn't do that with, with the current series, but possibly with series going forward, I'll start doing that. And if I had done it from the beginning and KU was an option, I think I probably would be in a better place. I like that point you make. Um, you wouldn't do it with current series. Can you elaborate on that just so readers or listeners know why? Uh, well, because the current series have an established fan base, we're sort of accustomed to the way I've been doing things. So if I suddenly changed it so that, oh, you know, you read the first five books in this series, but book six is going to be exclusive to Amazon for six months or a year. Uh, yeah, they, I don't want to defy expectations of the fans. And uh, to, to, to a degree, the new series, if I, would, if I was to do it with a new series, it would defy expectations then. But the new series might not have 100% carryover anyway. It might have a new fan base. So I would feel more comfortable doing it then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So for me, I, there's not a whole lot I would do differently. Um, I was actually, when we were first going over these questions, I was going to say, I would probably start writing at fantasy for adults first and then write my middle grade novels mainly because, um, fantasy, I mean, adults books sell a lot better, a lot better. And middle grade has always been a tough sell even back in the gold rush days. But honestly, I learned how to write on those books that, that first, the key of Clenny was the very first book I wrote. It was my first experience basically with creative writing. I'd never taken a creative writing class or anything like that. And so I learned how to write on those books I've made money on them, but my adult fantasies do a lot better because of them. And so I don't think there's a whole lot. Cause I mean, when I was first signing with a publisher, the first thing they told me, they made me sign up for our sign. Uh, sorry. They made me create a business an LLC. Um, I wish I'd done an escort. Maybe there, there you go. That's something I should have done from the beginning. Um, but no, they had me create a business to sign the contract through. And then they also strongly, strongly encouraged me to have a newsletter. And my editor even helped me set up a newsletter list for myself. And I was like, well, that was very awesome of them. 
Um, but because of that, it kind of got me started on the right foot. Uh, but um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. I mean, my middle grade fantasy didn't sell. I, but I, like I said, I learned how to write through those books. The first thing I published was a anthology, a collection of middle grade short stories, the Goblin Brothers Adventures. <laughs> they are still on Amazon. I think like I sell eight a month or something like from the diehard fans that are like going back and looking all through the old stuff. Um, and I am so relieved that I didn't stop there that I, cause I also had a novel that I had been querying. So I was like, you know, I wasn't fully committed yet to self-publishing those. But I was like, the more I got excited about it, I'm like, no, I'm just going to self-publish it. And so I published the novel and that I found, you know, anthologies are a tough sell, <laughs> you know, middle grade is a tough sell in eBooks. So I would have just, my self-publishing career would have been dreadfully short and <laughs> another failure if I had just stopped there. So I just thought I would comment on that since uh, <laughs> you also found middle grade eBooks are tough to sell. And um, every now and then I've run into people that do well and they're usually doing a lot of like school visits and, and that kind of thing and selling the paperbacks kind of to parents. Um, but in general, I'm pretty comfortable with the path I've taken. If I was starting again and I knew I had to make money as soon as possible, I would focus on one genre, you know, write the series, if not completely to market, since that doesn't seem to be really my thing, you know, like maybe I'd pick from, here's my three ideas, pick something that's closest that, you know, like in Epic Fantasy, the dragon stuff has always done really well for me, even when it's really not to market or to trope or anything like that. I mean, they're very steampunk meets dragons in a made-up world, which is not super popular for any of that stuff. But dragons alone were enough of a trope in, in epic fantasy that that seemed to really give those a boost. And, and that series has been, if not my biggest earner, the last time I looked, it was my biggest earner of all time. And never was it in KDP Select and KU. Um, but overall, pretty comfortable. The thing I did not get squared away early enough is the business side of it. Because I honestly, I was just like, I can't, it's not going to be this much money every year. You know, I was kind of like, I broke 100,000 the first time. I was like, well, that's not going to last. Nobody makes that much <laughs> for selling 399 books. And so I really had that attitude for many years. I was like, well, this, it won't last. So I'm not going to bank on this. And I'm just, so I was just doing myself employed taxes with TurboTax for a long time. And then the longer you go, the harder it is when, when you do like take you to an accountant and, and try to switch over. So that, that's one thing I wish I had gotten squared away earlier on. It just would have been a lot less. Uh, less difficult when I finally did it. And, you know, it's, I, I still think things won't last <laughs> as well as they are these yeah. days. I always, you know, if you plan for the half gl glass, half empty, you're never going to be disappointed. So, Hey, um, there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Lindsay's like, dang it. I'm making like 5 billion. It's not going to last. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the next question is from Celine Jean Jean. I'm not Jean Jean. I don't know if it's like a nickname or a name or whatever, but sorry about that. Okay. So her question is, is it better to have a really long, deep, long slash deep series, like say 15 books or more, because that then increases read through value and therefore ROI on any advertising of book one, or is it better to divide it into smaller series to have more points of entry for new readers? And then continuing, she says, it looks like Andrea and Lindsay, you both split off split off spinoffs as their own series rather than keeping it all as one huge series. So I'm guessing you're both proponents of more points of entry. But then I'm also thinking of the counter example of Bella Forrest with her enormous 84 book shade of vampire series would be great to hear what the three of you think of both options. And I'm going to say right now, Oh, I see Lindsay's dog. 
<laughs> Sorry, totally got distracted there by the dog. <laughs> um, I'm going to say right now, Bella Forrest is a complete outlier. Um, she is such an outlier. It's not even funny. <laughs> I, I, she's the only author I can name who has that many books in one series. And um, my advice here is to find multiple examples of authors in your genre who have tons of books in one series, and then basically take the average of what they do and see if it would work for you. So how do they, how do all of those different authors handle, um, the series? How many entry points do they have? Do the covers all match? How do they handle newsletters and releases? So, and then basically, like I said, take all of that, that write it all down and then figure out what, what would work best for your business plan and for your, um, your goals, where you want to go. And then don't base your business on outliers. Um, I know a lot of authors who do it the way, the way I do. So I've got my 10 book series and then I've got, you know, three series, three or four series that basically tie into that series. Um, and that definitely works obviously because there's so many people who are doing that. But I mean, I do know that there are authors who have a big series out there, not as big as Bella's <laughs> 84 books, but, um, so, and then also if the first book in the series isn't good enough, it doesn't matter how awesome later books are, the series will not sell. And one thing I do know is that Bella ended up relaunching the first book in her series, making it much longer than it was before. And I, apparently she released it as like a 20, 20,000 word novella. And it did well enough that she was like, you know, I'm going to uh, rewrite this. And she made it much longer. I think it was, I think it's like 60 or 70,000 words now. Um, and then she relaunched it, had a really clean edit done on it. And so, and that's helped her get readers into her series, but sometimes retconning like that is not possible without completely changing the story. And so you just kind of have to decide where you're going to go. Um, and then just kind of, you know, figure that out as you go. Um, as, uh, as for me, like if you've got the enthusiasm and the ideas for a really long series, then that's great. But I think just for the sake of sanity and variety, uh, just having different focuses, even if they're different, like facets of the same setting, uh, will help you stay motivated as a writer and lead to fresher, more interesting stories. that will ultimately do better for you. That could just be like me speaking, that's me speaking from my personal uh, experience because uh, I will periodically chase the shiny object and find that uh, the, that story ends up coming out of me much faster and I'm much more enthusiastic about it. So a long series certainly will help you, but only it's only worth doing if it continues to be really interesting and fresh and, and not everybody can keep up the enthusiasm for that long. I would say too that be careful before really committing yourself and be like, this is going to take 12 books to tell this epic fantasy storyline. I've got them all plotted out. I know it's going to happen in each one. And then you find out, Hey, book one didn't really sell that well. And neither did book two. Or you can also have the experience where the earlier books sold pretty well and you're going along and you tend to get some attrition over time. You'll have some diehard people that just keep reading and, and love everything and want you to write more, always want you to write more. But I think, I feel like most authors I've talked to, they find that at, at a certain point, they're not getting as, you know, they've only selling this book to like those diehard fans, new releases, and they're not getting new readers necessarily with uh, each release. Cause I think you'll find, I've heard authors talk about like, Oh, I'm going to have, you know, X number of entry points, possible places where readers could come in. It's book eight, but it could be like a book one. And I don't know if I've had anybody say that really worked because I feel like readers want to start at book one, but at some point, if it's like book 12 just came out, they're like, wow, that's a really big commitment. You know, do I want to, and the author's still working on them. Um, so I would, you know, tr don't necessarily apply logic. Go look at the sales numbers, see how things are going. I, 
purposely plan my series with a little flexibility. You know, I, I tend to usually commit to like five or six books and, um, you know, with the possibility of maybe going eight or nine, uh, usually as a, just as an artist, that's about the time where I, I tend to lose interest and I'm, you know, I tend to make arcs that just end up being about that long too. Uh, and I want to do something different. Um, if you have something and it's still selling really well, like I feel like, uh, with my heritage of power series, which was a spinoff of the dragon blood series, I had planned to do a trilogy and, uh, it went a little long and ended up being five books, but looking back at how well that was selling and how much I was making <laughs> as I was releasing those books, like it's the best months I've had, uh, you know, and those what did go into KU. So, Looking back, I'm like, well, I should probably should have added another three books in that series. But I had kind of already said in my mind, I'm wrapping it up. There was a wedding. There was, you know, <laughs> a romance that was completed. Uh, and the bad guys were dealt with. So uh, depending on the kind of books you do, uh, you know, fi fantasy and sci-fi, it's very typical to have arcs that go over like eight books or something. If you're doing cozy mysteries, romances, something where you can kind of set up in this book six, you can start set up new, a new couple for book seven and you can just keep going. Then, then you're sweet. You can just uh, rely upon sales data to decide and you know, at your muse, uh, how many books to do in the series. If you happen to strike gold like Bella, or um, I know Michael Anderley committed to, I think, 21 books uh, when he got started. And I feel like I've heard him say he was really grinding at the end to finish the last few, you know, because I think anybody's going to get a little tired after a while and want to do new things. But um, he had, you know, great sell through, really rabid fan base. In that case, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, you got 20 books in a series that sells well every time you advertise book one. You know, that's a, a super great asset to have. So I, I would just say, treat it with a little flexibility, like maybe plan. This is what I'm going to do. If, if it's going to be five books, if it doesn't seem like it's selling super well, I can wrap it up and leave everybody satisfied. You know, the last thing you want to do is just stop the series, which I have a couple. I still have to go back and finish because they didn't sell well and I lost enthusiasm for them. I have wrapped up a couple like that since then and I've got a couple more to do. Um, but it's always more fun to do the new stuff. So... Uh, yeah, they'll just be flexible and don't commit to like 12 books, no matter what. <laughs> if that series doesn't sell, that is a big time commitment. Yeah, no, it really is. And another thing that we should point out is it also depends on how quickly you're writing and releasing. So Bella Forrest, for example, um, she releases a book about once every two weeks, sometimes every three weeks, sometimes more often than that. And so it's keeping her vampire, her shade of vampire series up in the front of people's mind. I mean, she doesn't do one She'll hop between different series and everything, but because but because she's releasing so quickly, it doesn't matter. And so if you're releasing really, really quickly, then you could probably get away with, you know, a longer series. And um, that is uh, if it's doing well, you know, if the books are good and you're getting downloads and you could probably get away with a longer series because it's keeping it at the front of readers' minds. Um, and then also, if the books are really, really good, you can usually get them to make money later. So like my 10 book series, I wouldn't say by the time I was to book eight, uh, things were dying off a bit. And then book nine and book 10 and all that, they were dying off. But those books have hand over fist made their money back now by now because um, they're good books. And so I was able to take the time later while, you know, dealing with other things, personal life things and focusing on marketing and promoting those. And so if you're releasing slowly and the series isn't doing really well, but you know, it's no, it is a good series. Then you can continue. You can finish that series where a natural ending point is, and then focus on marketing and promoting it later. Or if you're a fast writer, then you can write quickly and do 
a bunch of books in the same series. Okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and do one more question. Uh, I think that's probably it for us for today, though, unless you guys are dying to continue for another 10 questions. Well, I was actually just typing in the chat. Maybe, maybe stop at Deb's. So like Oliver and Deb. Oh, wow. You're, you're, more, you're more nice than I am. I was going to be like, we're stopping Olivia. <laughs> well, I just thought that Deb had a good question. Okay. Good question that people will be curious about. So now okay. that we've teased that. <laughs> yeah. Now we tease that the next QA and Q&A in four months. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. All right. Okay. So our next question is from Olivia Fox and... Let's see. I would love to hear more about the guidance given on the show to wait until your series has five books before marketing. Was that advice regarding paid advertising only? And, um, it depends on what your goal is. Uh, if your goal is to make a whole lot of money, waiting until you have several books in a series is a good idea. Um, I very, very rarely run into authors who are able to make a big enough splash to get their money back on just a book one or book two in a series. Um, but on the other hand, running promotions with the goal of getting subscribers and reviews, uh, it, it's a great idea as long as you have things set up in place and encourage those goals. So for example, reader magnets, you can get people to down or to go and join your newsletter list after they read those books or automation sequences that encourage people to post reviews and things like that. And so that's when I'm working with my clients, I'm usually like, you're probably not going to, if you do a big push and like, I'm going to do like a thousand dollar push on marketing. You're probably not going to make that back on one book, but do, do run promotions with the goal of getting subscribers and with getting reviews. Uh, I'll say that, uh, I, I never took this particular piece of advice because again, because I was alternating between series. If I had waited until I had five books in the same series to start advertising, <laughs> I would have started advertising two years ago. Uh, it took me a while to get to book five and any of my series, but it is good advice. Promotion costs money and it takes effort. And the longer your series is and the deeper your catalog is, the more you're likely to make from the promotion. But there's also value in doing smaller scale paid promotion at really any stage just to develop the skills because there's no sense in throwing a lot of money at promotion if you're not good at promotion and you can't get good at promotion just by reading about it. You're going to have to do some experimentation. So don't throw a ton of money into promotion if you don't have the, the, the catalog to make that money back. But you know, you can build your chops and then, and I would say that does sort of only uh, apply to, to paid promotion because you should be doing some degree of just, you know, uh, uh, building your community and stuff like that just by default. And that all sort of counts as promotion. Uh, and also, and then as I sort of alluded to myself, some people are going to take a decade to get five books deep. And that means you're going to be waiting 10 years before you find out if you're going to be able to make a career at this. So, you know, take some time to learn. Don't plan your big promotion until you've got the, the the library for it, but learn to promote. Right. Usually, like, I'm not going to disagree with somebody that gives this advice. I think especially if you're looking at Facebook ads, Amazon ads, BookBub, you know, cost per click ads, then the most you can ever make on a, a book one, the dogs are getting restless. So I guess we will be wrapping up soon. It's, it's dinner time. Um, the most you're going to make on a book one is what? Maybe $3 if you sell it for $4.99. So it's really hard to make that work with ads where you're paying 30 cents, 50 cents a click. I mean, even if you're spending 10, if you're lucky and find somewhere for like 20, 10 or 20 cents a click these days, you know, it may take 10 clicks before you get a sale. So it's really hard to come out on top when you've just got one book. So that's that logic. But at the same time, you know, Amazon definitely puts preference towards new releases. They even look in, if you look at the sponsored ads, they're like new release. You know, if it came out in the last three months, it gets a little extra banner down there. And, um, on the other sites, the pre-orders can work. So if you're able to get some pre-orders early on, that can also give you a boost at release. So 
you kind of need to work with the stores if you think you potentially can sell enough to actually maybe get a little sticky and get some organic traffic. It's worth taking a shot. You know, maybe you don't want to spend a whole lot on advertising right away. You just maybe e-reader news today, a couple of the sites that allow new releases that aren't super expensive for a sponsored post. If you can line up some newsletter swaps with other people in your genre, that can make sense at release of your first book. Um, as far as waiting for five books, I would never wait either. Uh, but what I do like to do is if you are putting a lot of time and effort into the launch of like a new book and it, you know, it's a series have pre-orders up, you know, start to get sales, uh, from people who finish that first book so that you are getting potentially a little more than just maybe, you know, you don't want to be spending $10 to earn $3 cause you just have one book out and, um, make sure you have that newsletter sign up in the back of that book. If you've got a tie in short story or something to give away and get people onto your mailing list, then it's like, a, you're at least getting a little more than the $3 or, or whatever you're launching that first book at. So, um, you can go either way, but like I said, uh, th the state of things now is that it's never going to be easier to get a book rolling than on release day. You don't have any, you're kind of overcoming an inertia. Like Amazon does take historical sales into consideration when figuring book rankings. So if you haven't been selling anything for a long time, it's hard to get it. It's harder to get it rolling than if you just have no history and you're starting out on day one release and getting things rolling. So, and it seems like the other sites to some extent also, you know, favor like coming in with a bunch of sales hard early on, it's going to be beneficial. Yeah. And it's kind of like a catch 22. If you want to make money, I mean, if you want to keep writing, you need to make money so you can pay for your writing and your editing and your covers and things like that. But I mean, one thing that we, it's good for our listeners and us to remember is this is not just a one month plan or a one year plan. I mean, these books, if they, if we don't make a whole ton of money off of them from running promotions. And I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, when I first started out, we ran a huge promotion on my first book and it was a free book and I didn't make any money on it. But I mean, you make money the farther, you know, the more down the road you go and the more books you get. And so don't, don't stress, don't worry if you're not making money off of just a few books. And Lindsay says, do you want me to read that comment or do you want to comment it? <laughs> I'll just add on. I was going to say, if you're not going to promote them anyway, you might as well just hold on to them. And then you can publish later all five and do the rapid release thing and hopefully make piles and focus all of your advertising on those yeah, five. Yeah. And books. that's a, an excellent point. And I know a lot of, a lot of my clients where I'm like, don't publish, they just get impatient. So I challenge our listeners. If you don't have a lot of books out, wait a little bit, give yourself time to get everything else set in place and then get, you know, have a few books to rapid release and then actually, you know, give yourself the opportunity to take this advice and put it into action. Okay. So yes, this next question is actually a really good question. I think a lot of our listeners will like this one. So Deb Zeb, that's an awesome name, by the way, two thumbs up for me, <laughs> um, asked when to make the leap to full-time writer. I nearly did it at the end of last year. I'm guessing that's the end of 2019 or was that the end of 2018? Do we know when this question was asked? <laughs> Let's assume 2018. I might have, okay. we're a few weeks behind on the Facebook questions. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I nearly did it at the end of last year, but I'm not wide. I was, and it didn't work out. And I started to worry about a downturn in my books and whether I could write some more dependable sellers. And then people started telling me how they were having to go back to work. So what are the signs of basically being able to become a full-time writer, quitting your job, all of that. And, um, my answer to that is I like security. Um, you know, I'm a saver, you know, savers like 
security. <laughs> we don't make take risks very often. Um, if you had zero royalties coming in, how long could you survive before you ad- ran out of money? So how big is your savings account? Um, how much money do you require to not feel panicky and to meet your needs? So I'd aim to have several months of that much saved up, plus at least three months in a row of royalties that are above what you need to survive after business expected uh, expenses, um, mainly because roly- royalties are volatile and it's really hard to predict how things are going to go. And so if you have money saved up and you have a few months in a row of good royalties, then that's a much better place to be at than, you know, quitting after you have two books do really, really good and you don't have any history or any money or anything like that. And I think Joe and I both can attest the importance of a nest egg for when things drop off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, if I did not save up money in the beginning, then I probably would have gone back to work last year, sometime last year, because I did not like the way last year went. But uh, I had the benefit of a good job and two solid years of reliable sales before I even considered taking it full time. Basically, once I was making more money off of my books than my day job is when it became pretty clear I should probably be focusing on the books. Uh, uh, and I also have very little in the way of... I, I personally have very little in the way of financial liability. Uh, I don't really have uh, a family and I live with other people. So the expenses are very low. So that helps make the decision as well. Uh, I had literally saved up years of required income. But from the good sales and the good job, I had a nest egg that would last me a long time. And I'm a chronic ball of anxiety. So I needed that before I was willing to step onto the raft of a new career. Uh, And even knowing that, even knowing that, and even knowing that with zero royalties, I'd be able to finish out the next two years without depleting my savings. Uh, I still periodically think about, well, I should probably just get a day job just in case, like even now. So, you know, I am very cautious in that regard. Uh, my usual method for like gauging how I'm doing both if, when I was starting off to see whether or not I should go full time and now to, to see if I should stay full time is to do, and you should do this somewhat you know, do this periodically is you take an audit of your expenses, uh, living expenses and book expenses and taxes. All of that has to be considered. Uh, you break it down by, you know, as a monthly payment because you get paid monthly unless you're traditional, they're getting paid by whatever the heck, uh, you know, quarterly or, or semi-annually. You break it down and you see how close to the line you are. And if you're comfortably above the line, then don't worry, you know, keep for the course. If you're approaching the line, start to consider what changes you need to make to stay above the, the, the red line. And if you're below the red line for more than a month or two, then, you know, you start making a decision about whether or not you want to keep doing this or what sort of changes you're going to make so that you can keep doing this. But the idea is you don't want financial instability to sneak up on you. So just sort of keep track on how your payments and, and your, your costs, your liabilities, your income change, and always have that red line in mind so that you know what's going on. I usually recommend to people, don't do it if it's your first series and you don't yet know how launching more series is going to go. Because it's very possible either through accident or design that you happen to be like right on the money. You're right in the market. You don't even know it. You're hitting the tropes. You're, people are super excited and that first series takes off. I've seen a lot of this where then their second series they think all the readers are going to follow them over to it, but for whatever reason, it's not quite as to trope. And, you know, maybe their fans aren't diehard fans yet after just, you know, going through one series or they're a little bit in a different genre. So I would at least wait till you have, you know, that you're, you've done a second series 
and this is hard for those people out there. I apologize for anybody who writes one-offs. That's a tough, <laughs> tough thing. But make sure you kind of establish your brand and you have people that will follow you over and buy anything you write. Because that, that's not always the case. So don't assume that it will be. And, and then it just depends on your situation and how risk averse you are. There's a lot to be said for having a full-time income from your day job, just continuing to come in and then, Hey, you've got, you're making thousands of extra dollars a month from your books. You know, that's a really awesome opportunity to just pay down all your debt. Uh, some people even like, depending on where you live, maybe it's feasible to pay off your mortgage. And then it's just a, a much less stressful way to go into becoming, you know, now I'm an entrepreneur and now, now I'm an author. Uh, so that's something some people want to do before they quit their day job. And it, you know, it's going to depend too on, do you like your day job? You know, do you hate your day job? Is it, the motivation you need is being able to quit it. And then, you know, you're going to make it work no matter what. And, and of course, if you're single, you know, it's, pro you know, you've got, maybe you've got six months living expenses in the bank or three months, and that's enough for you because you can leave, you can go out and get another job. No problem. Uh, if you have kids, if you're supporting a spouse, if you need the health insurance uh, here in the U S that's a really big thing. Uh, you got to pay for it on your own once you become self-employed and it's crummy and expensive <laughs> compared to what you might be getting if you have like a government job or even, you know, just a corporate job. Uh, so you generally, because of that, need to do health insurance and you get hit on taxes with self-employment income. You need to make more uh, from your entrepreneurial work, your author work than you did at your day job in order to maintain the same standard of living. So uh, all stuff to think about. But like I said, I, I wouldn't do it off definitely enough not off of like one book. I mean, cause there's all kinds of stories out there on the internet. Like I quit my job after I got a book deal and made six figures, you know, in an auction from three publishers were bidding on it. And then like, and now I'm broke and I'm going back to work. So, uh, make sure you kind of got those like Kevin Kelly's article from like 2008, you know, 1000 true fans. If you know, you have that, then you can figure out a way to make it work. And I think that's all we're going to talk about tonight, today whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to, I was going to say really quickly, don't forget other sources of income. You have a book, you can find other ways to make money off of that book, like merchandising. And I mean, my husband and I figured out, I mean, this is actually something you do go to Hobby Lobby and buy some resin and make little, like we did these little keys that go with my books and we sell them for $5 and they take 20 cents each to make. And we've made some really actually decent cash money to pay for medical bills with that kind of thing. And so, I mean, your books, there's so many options and so many ways that you can make money just off of your books. And so, I mean, yeah, anyway, <laughs> sorry. No, and it's true. If you kind of to develop that entrepreneurial mindset too, that goes a long ways in helping. Like, I, I don't think I could get a job if I went out there today because I have, you know, I was in the army and then I went to school and then by then I was working for myself. So I didn't quit a job. I just transitioned from one kind of self employment to another. Um, but I feel like there are other things I could do if I had to. Uh, you know, maybe I start this self publishing podcast and start making courses and uh, <laughs> sell things to authors. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I feel like once you learn to be an entrepreneur, your mind opens up, opens up to possible ways to make income. And and again, it getting having to get a part-time job for a couple of months, it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's it's totally okay. So just want to put that out there too. I mean, it does not mean you are you have failed as a writer, you know. Um, anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for this episode. I think both all three of us are done. Lindsay's wine is probably all gone and she probably wants to go get some vodka or something, but <laughs> wow. You think I'm a hard drinker, man. I'm like a lightweight one glass of wine. I'm like, woo, feeling much better now. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway okay so yeah we'll go ahead and wrap up now uh, thank you so much for listening and thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show um, if you have time please leave a review on iTunes Stitcher and Google Podcasts basically wherever you listen and we really appreciate those of you who have posted reviews already um, we had quite a few of those come in and very very um, appreciative of that um, and then also come join our listeners only group on Facebook It search for six figure authors and then we've also got those links in the show notes and I think that's pretty much it for today. So we will go ahead and say goodbye. Bye-bye. So long, everybody.